trying to funnel things back to Jesus, but did you guys just sense that just this whole worship set was just, you know, just Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus above all. I mean, just it just was mm, just rich. And I don't know about you, but that just lights my fire. I, don't, I am thankful to be in a place where the, the, the best part of it is not when it's over. And um, so I'm thankful for what God is doing here. We're going to finish chapter 7. Finally, I was telling the earlier service, we began this uh, series through the book of John in January uh, of last year, and we're, we're a quarter of the way, or a third of the way through. I think it's 21 chapters, of course, in the Gospel of John. And I appreciate your patience as we kind of, we've crawled through this. And, and um, you know, I just really believe that this is one of the, the richest of the Gospels when it comes to, uh, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, learning Him and, and hearing from Him. And uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, for the days ahead. You know, there'll be opportunities where we're, of course, we'll go into other types of teaching, but I'm, I'm real, this is honestly one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible to study and to preach. And so we're looking forward to what God has for us uh, throughout this year. But I want you to find verse number 45 with me if you're there this morning. Say amen. We'll begin reading. The Bible says, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man ever spake. No man has ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So this morning we're going to see the last few verses here in chapter 7. And of course the setting is still at the feast. It's at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles where of course, Jesus was the main point of controversy and debate when uh, just a few verses before he stood up and cried out in front of the whole crowd that if any were thirsty, if any thirst, that they could come to him and he would give them the living water, that out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. And Jesus, of course, was always at the center of controversy when he was on earth, and he did not shy away from confrontation or controversy. And this is no different. Now, last time we were in John, we heard from the different groups and we heard from those who had believed on him, those who had rejected, those who were in the valley of decision and those who hated Jesus. And now we're going to hear more from those in that last group, those who desired to, to arrest Jesus, to, to shut him down and and we're going to see how uh, these characters, these individuals, uh, were operating. Now, we pick it up in verse number 45. We see an, an exchange between the chief priests and the Pharisees and the officers that they had sent to arrest Jesus. Now, I want you to understand these chief priests and, and the Pharisees, these were the men of power within 
uh, Jerusalem within Israel. Now, they would have been the ones who would have set in the court settings and would have uh, dealt out judgment. And they were the religious leaders of the day. They were powerful men, wealthy men, uh, men who had risen to uh, prestige. And they would have been, uh, of course, uh, respected within the community. And these men had officers, of course, who were under their authority. And so obviously the orders had been given to these officers to arrest Jesus. But of course, as they came to arrest Jesus, history records and the Bible records that they were arrested by his words. <laughs> they could not follow through with the direct order given from their superiors because of the nature, the supernatural word that came from Jesus, the living word. And they were captivated by it. And we want to start there this morning. I want you to see the captivated in this verse, in these verses. These were the officers. Now they came to arrest Jesus, but they did not follow through. And when they returned to the chief priest, they asked, why have you not brought him? And their answer was never man spake like this man. And, and, and those words could have been further elaborated upon by those men. And I believe what they were saying, what they were expressing to the chief priests was that this man was more than just a man. His words were more than mere words. His way of speaking was not of, of normalcy. It's not the normal way that uh, a human would communicate. This man was different. He was God in the flesh. I want you guys to be reminded, as I mentioned, we've been in this book for about a year. We've been kind of uh, taking our time going through John, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We hear in, in John chapter 1. Oh, I was reminded this week what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Oh, he said when he saw him come on the horizon that day, when he had been preaching that there is coming one after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, when that day came, when he saw Jesus coming over the horizon, he stopped what he was doing and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, of whom I'm not worthy to even latch his, his sandal. And I'm telling you, oh, oh, it was amazing when John the Baptist declared that in front of the masses. Oh, in John 3, when Nicodemus came to him because he had been hearing of Jesus and his miracles and his works and the way that he moved, it was different from any other man. And he had come to the conclusion that he was sent from God because he would not be able to do the things that he was doing. Oh, he realized he was more than just a man. Oh, the woman at the well, when she met him there, oh, she realized very quickly, oh, this isn't just an ordinary man. He knew everything about her, never had a conversation with her prior. And, he, and she ran back in town and she left her water pot. And I always say this, it's always serious when a woman leaves behind her Tupperware. <laughs> she went into town, she told everybody who will listen, come see a man which told me everything which I had ever done. Oh, the crippled man who was healed by the pool of Bethsaida. When they questioned him, who told you you can pick up your bed on the Sabbath? They weren't concerned with the miracle. They were concerned with the rule that they had put on them. And that's what critical hearts do. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, he said, I don't know who he is, but all I know is that I'm up and I'm walking. And 
All I know, remember when the blind man who was uh, given his sight said, I don't know who it was, but all I know is that I see now. Oh, I'm telling you, this Jesus, he's captivating. He's more than just an ordinary man. Oh, he's a, he is the God man. And I want us to remember that this morning. I think we've lost the wonder and awe of Jesus. Oh, our familiarity with Jesus and coming to church. And, you know, I, I find this very telling. You know, a lot of us who grew up in Christian homes who, who you know, sometimes I see it in my kids. Oh, I've, I've heard the verses a thousand times. I've heard the stories a thousand times. And we get a little comfortable around who this Jesus is. But I want you to understand when these officers went to Jesus and they heard him speak, it was like they were hit with a Mack truck and they were captivated and they were willing to go back empty-handed to the superiors even at the risk of losing their own lives. Are you captivated with Jesus? He's more than a man. He's more than we can comprehend. And this is why the world reacts to Jesus the way that they do. Have you noticed it? I was reading in Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter, He said this, and I quote, he said, the very name of Jesus seems to bother people. It embarrasses them. It makes them angry. It makes them want to change the subject. You can talk about God, and people don't necessarily get upset, but mention Jesus, and people want to stop the conversation. Why don't the names of Buddha and Muhammad or Confucius offend people the way the name of Jesus does? And he said, I think the reason is that these other religious leaders didn't claim to be God. There's a big difference between Jesus and the others. And I'm telling you, this is so true. Why is it that it's okay at city council to pray in any other name but the name of Jesus? Why is it that they do everything they can to cover up Scripture referencing God, Jesus, uh, in every arena because there's power in that name. And that name invokes emotion that no other name evokes. And I'm telling you, we've got to get back to exalting that name, to reverencing that name, to being captured by the name of Jesus. He's more than a man. And these men realize it very quickly, sitting under his preaching for just a few, few moments. And I just want to ask that question this morning. Are you still captivated with Jesus? I can tell you. I know this week God... I was, uh, you know, I've been on the, on the bench for a few weeks, you know, not preaching and, and uh, you know, it, and it's, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to be honest, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good for, for me personally. And um, you can, you can kind of backslide. You can kind of, I can kind of get callous and I'm not, I, I'm not under that, the weight of preparation, so to speak, you know, and, and uh, that's and, and and you can start to get off, and and I was feeling that. And then this week, God just just poured into me as I studied for this. As, you know, the the main thing that I have to focus on as a preacher is to prepare my heart. You know, we're all prone to wonder. We're all prone to to go back to that old man, that old way, that old uh, mo method of operation, and. And God just had to snatch me up, and I'm thankful he did. And I was able to get away a few days with my bride and, you know, with no kids. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, you know, to press into God when you don't have, you know, five kids at your ankles, you know, most of the day. 
And um, I'm just telling you, the best revivals that some of us need to have is not something that we set up here. It's really you and Jesus. God did something in my heart. And I came in here yesterday and just me and Jesus for a while and, and just put on the worship and, and just God met with me. And I'm telling you, I came in here this morning I woke, uh, and I had a rough night last night. I, I, I mean, I started to pray when I was in here for things. I think I started to upset the demonic because for some reason I could not, like there was something, just, just a pressure I was feeling last night. I couldn't get to sleep. Kept waking up every hour on the hour. And, um, but for me, there was, it was just confirmation that, okay, now that the gun is loaded, <laughs> now the enemy's trying to come in my dreams, trying to, you know, any of you been there? Trying to come in your dreams and, and make you think about, I mean, just the attack was real. I felt it. And, and I'm just, I was aware of it. God, this morning, and, and just still feeling it. But when I came in here, I promise you, when I walked in here and the worship was going, it's like immediately, God said, just poured into me. And tears started coming down. And he said, I got you. You just, you just open your mouth and, and speak what I tell you to speak. And it was like Jesus was right there with me. And I'm telling you, he captivated me anew and afresh this morning. And I'm telling you, that's what some of you need in here this morning is to look on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's where we've got to get back to, church family. Are you stumbling? Are you drifting away? Look to Jesus. Like it said in the song, we must build our life on him. He's the firm foundation. And he's going to be the one that keeps us. These men were captivated. And it showed. They couldn't help but testify in front of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the leaders of that day. And I want to just tell you something, that that was risky. And I'm, I've learned this, people who are captivated with Jesus are willing to take whatever risk they need to for Jesus. They aren't into the life of just safety and self-preservation. When you are captivated with Jesus, you will take risks. You won't be dominated by fear, but rather a passion greater than that, your love for him. You see the captivated. They say, never, no man has ever spoke like this man. But I want you to see the critical. <laughs> the critical, the Pharisees, they're on the other side of that. And I've learned this, that in, in our lives, we'll be either one or the other. There's really no in-between ground. Either we're in love with Christ, captivated with him, following him, growing in our walk with him, or we're straying from him, we're growing cold, and we're becoming more critical of people and, and everything else. You guys remember that first love stage in your, your relationship or maybe with your husband and your wife? There's, they could do no wrong, right? I was thinking about it this week, you know, as we celebrated our anniversary. And, and I remember nights where, you know, we would fall asleep on the phone because we just didn't want to, we were just so captivated in love with each other. We didn't want to hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. We laugh at that now, huh? Those of us who've been married for a while. <laughs> because over time, we, we, go, we, we, we go far away from that, right? We, we, 
we grow cold, and then we get critical on our spouses, right? Why aren't you doing this? What is this? That's what the tendency for, for, for sinful people, we grow critical. And these men didn't love Jesus. They hated him. They wanted him dead. And so they were critical of anybody who would have followed Jesus. So I want you to see how they addressed these officers. The Bible says in verse 47, Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? <laughs> Are you deceived? Has this deceiver deceived you? Have you drank the Kool-Aid? Is what they were saying. <laughs> they were looking down on these men for what they had just proclaimed. I've learned this with the critical. They look down on others. They have a high view of self, and they look down on others. And they speak to people in that condescending type of a tone. And this is what they were doing here. Have you been deceived, you ignorant men? You see, they cared little about the multitudes. The Pharisees were known to have a disdain for people. They wouldn't be caught dead with the publicans and sinners that Jesus was often found with. They would not come close to someone who was uneducated. They would not, not dare associate with those who were, in their eyes, unclean. And this pride, this arrogance, this lifted up haughty spirit within them, of course, is what that pride blinded them to see the truth of who Jesus was. They were presented with the truth from these officers, but because they felt like they had ascended to elitism spiritually, that they could not receive from these peasants uh, the truth. And I find this to be true in religious spirit people uh, in the church uh, in this time, that when they have studied or they have ascended or they've gone to this seminary or they have this understanding of Scripture, sometimes that pride creeps up in their lives where they can't hear the other side of things, that they become the gatekeeper of truth, and they're going to set everybody else straight. And they're critical of others. You know, one of the true signs that we aren't where we should be with Jesus is how we treat others. You want to know how spiritual a man is, go talk to his wife. Go talk to his children. And I'm telling you, you can put on the front of being you know, ultra spiritual. You can come to church and you can say all the right things and have the right Bible version and have the right doctrine. Be straight as a gun barrel theologically, but be so far from God you couldn't see him with a telescope. And be cold and callous towards your wife, critical for your wife. Your wife can't say anything and you're so ultra sensitive you're going to defend everything and, and tell her 25 ways why she is wrong. And I'm telling you, this critical heart can creep up in any of us in here. But I'm telling you, the only antidote for a critical heart is a big Jesus and is being in love with Jesus. That is the only way, being a worshiper. And you guys wonder why we're always talking about this altar or we're always preaching about worship. You want to know why? Because I have counseled the men. I've seen the women crying at the altar. I've been on the other side of that. And I understand what you need, sir, is not more degrees from some theological seminary. What you need is a baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's only going to happen when you get on your knees and humble yourself. it. That's where we need to be, and these religious leaders were nowhere near that. They were pride filled. Everyone else were not, were, were stupid, and 
spiritually illiterate to them. Look what they say. They are the standard. Look at verse 48. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Have any of us believed in him? We're the standard. And I've seen this same spirit. And it's sad because the people who sometimes are in that position, they don't see it. They, 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 they're blind to the fact that they're elevating what they believe about something. And usually it's a non-essential. Usually it's not a big issue, but they've elevated it. And um, they were saying to these officers, hey, we, we are the leaders. We, we are the ones who know the law. Look what they say, verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. This crowd, these, these imbeciles here, <laughs> you lesser than people who don't know the word, that's what they're saying. They're cursed. They're lost. You know what I've learned? Critical hearts are so quick to condemn people. He said they're cursed. You know what that means? He said they're, they're lost. They're on their way to hell. Which the truth was, they weren't. They had, many of them had come to faith, but they were on that road to hell. You know, I think about the story of the prodigal in the Bible. And we know, we've heard it emphasized many times, uh, you know, how the son who said, Lord, uh, Father, give me all my inheritance. I'm going to go in the world. He's sleeping with prostitutes, eating, with, you know, eating, drinking, and being merry. And then he ends up with the pigs. And then he comes to, and he says, my, my father's servants live better than this. And he went home, and the father greeted him, right? He ran, and he greeted him. He put on a robe. He put a ring on his finger and put some Reeboks on his feet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He would have put some Jordans, you know, I mean, that's the way it is. But anyways, and then you have, so we know that's, that's a picture of God's grace and we're all sinners. But when we come to, when we come to the Father, he receives us with open arms. But we, we know the other brother in the story, he was critical of that. He, he said, I'd always done the things the Father did. I always kept every rule from Forever, I, I've always did this, this, and that. So he was self-righteous. And so we find him at the end of the story. Where do we find him? Outside the party. It's a, it's a picture where many people who are religious, critical, hard on others, easy on themselves, who, who think they're self-justified by keeping certain rules and standards and whatever it may be, many of those religious folks are going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to heaven. And I want you to just do inventory like I had to. You know, I came to this point in my life a few years back where I, I had a view where I was superior to, to many others. I wouldn't have fellowshiped with a church like this. pastor tried to get me to preach. I said, no, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> Ask him. No, you know, we... we we got it right. You guys are wrong. I, I can't. I've never preached in any church but this type of church. And <laughs> little did I know that what I what I needed, what I needed to learn, was right here. And um, this is where these men were. They were prideful. They were critical. They were hard on others. Easy on self. They were they were straining at gnats. They felt like they were the guardians of the truth. You know, we got to come to the conclusion, and I have, 
in my life, thank, thankful to the grace of God, is that I don't know everything. I, I, I've studied the Bible. I've read through the Bible so many times. And each time, there's something that stumps me. <laughs> each time, I'm like, man, I didn't see that before. I mean, what is about this? And, you know, I have evolving positions, not on the essentials, don't get me wrong. But Pastor and I, we've been going back and forth on the end times, you know, because the way things are looking, we're in them, right? And um, we have differing views, but it doesn't cause dissension between us. Um, and, the, you know, a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, you're a false teacher. <laughs> I would have labeled. And this is what they do. They label people rather than allow the truth to, to speak. They label them. They say, are you deceived? Uh, do you, are, you, are you fooled? And I've learned this when truth is presented to a critical heart and it's not their view of truth, usually they become, they, they become emotionally um, combative. They, become, um, they, they resort to name-calling. Don't you see that often in our political system now? You see it in other arenas, you know, any debating. Critical thinking has gone out the window in our culture, and you can't have differing opinions. Somewhere along the line, we've bought the lie. If we don't agree with each other, we hate each other. Not the truth, but I don't want to get off on that rabbit trail. But these leaders, this is what they did, the classic thing. They, they are going to start to label those who oppose what they were doing. I want you to see in verse number 50, within the crowd, within that group, there was a man who I believe who had come to faith in Jesus, Nicodemus. Remember, Nick came at night. <laughs> Nick, he came to Jesus at night, the Bible says. And uh, some of you who are older will remember Nick at night, you know, some of you kids. Um, I was up, you know, we were in this hotel. And I was up one night, and it was on Cartoon Network. I feel so bad for you kids and the cartoons you have. I mean, just completely. <laughs> I'm getting critical of them, but they're <laughs> terrible. You know, I grew up in the era, and some of you say, oh, your era, even, you know, I grew up in cartoons like Chip and Dale, Darkwing Duck. Some of y'all remember that. Millennials, where y'all at? Stand up. <laughs> some of the best, you know, Tailspin and, you know, things like that. You guys can look them up on, on YouTube. And Anyways, they begin, uh, Nicodemus is in the group there, and he had come to Jesus by night, and I believe he had come to faith at this point. And so he's going to call them out for their hypocrisy, for, for their, um, <laughs> their prejudice, honestly. They hated Jesus, and they weren't even going to hear the other side of the matter. Look at verse number 51. He says, this is what he says. He, he speaks up, says, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So he, he, he says, hey, you guys are condemning this man. You have not, he has not had his day in court. You know, I, I've learned um, a lot of what we have enjoyed here in the United States of America, you know, with, even with our legal system, you know, three branches of, of, of government, and um, it is based off of biblical principles. And, and the, the law was, in fact, that if someone is to be condemned or accused of a crime, there had to be established within two to three witnesses, okay? And we're going to see it 
in chapter 8, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they're going to try to stump Jesus by bringing the woman who's caught, caught in the act of adultery. And they, they, they came as the witnesses. There were two who just so happened to be in the vicinity while they were involved in that. And they're going to try to corner Jesus. And, and um, so we'll get to that in a few, a few weeks. But I want you to understand that what Nicodemus was saying is true. We know that Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He, his, his, his expertise was that of the scripture. Um, and this is what Jesus referred to when he said, aren't you a teacher amongst the Jews when he came to him at night? And uh, so Nicodemus speaks up. I believe there was one other in the group at this point who had placed his faith in Jesus, and it was Joseph of Arimathea. And of course, we're going to hear more from these uh, men later on. So, um, he says what he says, and these leaders, <laughs> uh, these hypocrites, honestly, this is what they answer him. They, they, they levy to the insults, okay? Look at it, verse 52. They answered him and said, are you also from Galilee? Are you from Lake LA? Sorry if anybody's here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you. You're from Lake LA. Are you a hick from the backside of the desert? Are you an uneducated Galilean like, like he is? You know, remember this was, we learned that they, there was a knock towards Jesus because he was from Galilee. And uh, so they insult uh, Nicodemus. And like I said earlier, this is what people do, prideful people do when they can't speak against the truth. They can do nothing but for the truth. And, and I want you to understand when you're having an, an I just want us to be careful, you know, the last thing the world needs from us today is just to be going around trying to set everybody straight over where they're wrong and all these things. Honestly, what they need to see from us is us following Jesus, loving Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandments were, was? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What your neighbor needs to see you do is love them. And I'm telling you, when you love them, that will give you a platform in their heart eventually to speak the truth. And you'll speak that in love, too. And so, but these men, of course, they were, they were biased. They, they hated. They were not filled with the Spirit. They were filled with themselves. They were full of themselves. This is why they were elevated in their own minds. This is why they looked down on everybody. And so they had to levy the insults. Are you from Galilee? And then they point him to the scripture. He says, search and look for no prophet has risen from Galilee, and which was not correct. This was not biblically correct. And Nicodemus would have known that, you see, because there was another prophet who came out of Galilee, and his name was Jonah, right? Jonah. You guys know Jonah? And you guys remember that Jesus in the Gospels, he would refer to Jonah. He'd say, I'm going to give you a sign. You want a sign? I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, who, who was in the, the belly of a well for three days. I, too, would be uh, buried for three days and rise again. And so Jesus was, of course, making that parallel. The, 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 of course, we know much of Scripture is, 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 is uh, symbolic and pointing to Jesus and what he would do. Um, you know, I can go throughout the Old Testament, you know, with the scarlet thread that was hung out the harlot's window. Rahab is a picture, of course, of the blood that would, of course, be to our salvation. Noah in the ark, 
of course, was Jesus' uh, picture of the ark, and, and salvation is found inside of the ark. I mean, just so many other things I could point to. But this is where they had missed the, the, the truth. And they were going to, they were stuck in their, their beliefs, and no one was going to shake that. No truth is going to change the heart of a prideful person. And how many of you guys know people like that? who are completely closed off to the truth because they heard some random YouTubers say that the Bible has been, you know, contaminated or there's these Dead Sea Scrolls who, who have more uh, other evidences and they've, they've gone down every other rabbit trail, and, but they refuse to come to Jesus because they have, uh, they have bunkered down in their pride. How many of you guys know people like that? I do. And that's dangerous. You know, God did not take away our critical thinking. So I, I'm, Jesus is, is able to, to withstand our scrutiny. I want you to understand that. And I have no problem with you this morning. I'm not speaking to you if you have genuine questions. You are open to the truth and have genuine questions. That's what uh, I think many people are, are there. And there's no problem with that. But there is a problem when your heart is closed, where you, you, you are completely... Uh, against the truth, and you will not be swayed. And that pride will, will, will show to be damning. Nicodemus wasn't like the rest of the, those who were critical. Nicodemus was intellectual. He knew the Scriptures, but he was open to the truth. When he heard and saw what Jesus was, was doing in that time, uh, he had to come to a conclusion. I'm telling you this this morning. Jesus is not a figure where you can remain neutral. Either he is Lord or he isn't. And either you bow before him, you come to him for salvation, or you don't. And the Bible is clear. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. It is that black and white. It is that simple. This morning, if you have Christ as your Savior this morning, you have the assurance and the promise from Jesus, from the, in the Word of God, that when you take your last breath on this side of eternity, that you will be with Him in His presence. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't have that assurance, you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. John 3, that if you have not the Son, you are condemned already. The wrath of God is on you. And if you die in that unconverted state, then you will face the wrath and judgment of a righteous, holy God. Not for a thousand years. Not for a hundred thousand years forever. And this is why we preach the good news. The good news is that Jesus loves every one of you. He loves anyone, everyone on this planet. And this is why he died on the cross to shed his blood, to pay the penalty, the payment for sin. And that he promised that all who come to him, that he would in no wise cast them out. He will never reject you. You have not done too much. You have not strayed too far. 
Jesus can save you. He is a wonderful, mighty Savior and a merciful Savior. None of us deserve heaven. You're looking at a man who I, I've shared with you uh, my past, and I don't deserve to be up here preaching. You know, one of the reasons why I'm so captivated with him is the grace that he's shown me, the mercy he's shown me. Oh, my friends, oh, aren't you thankful this morning if you're in Christ this morning that it isn't dependent upon you and what you've done or where you've been? It's dependent upon him and his love and grace. These Pharisees were depending upon their religious performance. And they thought that that was going to please God, and it didn't. This morning, I just want you to know God loves you. He wants to save you. If you don't know him, you can come to him. And then I'm going to close with this. Believers, are you becoming more critical Are you more captivated? Are you critical of people? Critical of your spouse? Critical of your employer? Critical of this and this and that? Critical of the the pastor? Critical of this? I mean, are you growing in your criticism and your cynicism and your sarcasm and your... Are you growing in that or are you captivated with Jesus? There's really no in-between. You remember when Jesus rebuked the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church? What did he rebuke them for? They were right theologically. They had took a, a right stance against false teachers. They, they were a church that you and I would say, oh, that's a great church. But Jesus looked at their heart and said, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. Do you love him? Are you a worshiper? My little girl, I can't, we came, we were away for a few days this week. <clears throat> and I, I want to encourage you, married couples, if you can. I know there's different seasons where you can't, but you, you often need to go apart with your spouse and just reconnect and, and, and just uh, put a few logs on that, that love fire, right? Amen, amen. And we did that this week, but we missed the kids. Uh, usually, I'm, it takes me about two days to get there. <laughs> My wife, it's immediately. Oh, I wonder what they're doing. And I ain't worried about they fine. Let's, let's, let's. <laughs> but I came home and my little girl, Zuri, she's two, and now she's a whole person, right? And she's having conversations with people. And uh, when I was coming in, she was having a conversation with mommy. And, and mommy said, hey, uh, daddy's coming in. She said, daddy's home? Big daddy's home? <laughs> My daddy's home? And she just lit up. And she's sitting down. We're having a conversation. She's standing on a bar stool. She has a brush and she's brushing my hair and she's, she's having a conversation with me and she's saying, dad, she said, uh, Pastor Shane love worship? I said, yeah, he does. She's like, you love worship? I'm like, yeah, I do. And that was, that was the topic of her conversation because She's seeing a different daddy than my older kids saw. Then she's seeing a different daddy, and it's because I've fallen in love with Jesus again. It's nothing good in me. And it's do your kids know that you love Jesus? Does your spouse know you love Jesus? Does that spill over into your relationship with with others, or are you quick to be critical, name call? whatever it may be.
If you're not captivated with Jesus, the altar's open. The prayer room's going to be open. We'd love to pray with you. If you've gone away from your first love, today is a day where you can come back. He's going to be wait. He's waiting with arms wide open to receive you. Yeah.